was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As far the reading of God's holy word, let us pray. Our God, we ask that you would work in us by your word and spirit. That as we think upon these truths, we would be encouraged, indeed confident in our prayers to you. Knowing that you are our Father in heaven. That you are good to us. That you are abounding in grace toward us. And our God, we ask that you would do this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We've been in Luke uh, chapter 11, the first part of it, for a while now, as we've been looking at prayer. Uh, I think we've had uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, maybe nine sermons uh, in, the, in the preceding weeks. We've gone through the Lord's Prayer. We've looked at uh, the Lord's Prayer and, and the need to pray, teach us to pray. We've looked at the petitions in the Lord's Prayer and, and explored those. And last week we looked at verses 5 through 8. The persistence that we are to have in prayer is one who comes at midnight and will not stop knocking. We are to persist in prayer. Jesus is encouraging His disciples and us in prayer. Having taught them how to pray, now He encourages them in prayer. And last week we really learned that God is greater than any earthly friend. If an earthly friend, even one who is woken up in the middle of the night, quite grumpy, will give what is needed, how much more will Jesus, who calls us friend, how much more will God give to us? But then here as we look at verses 11 through 13, which also tie into the commands in 9 and 11 to ask and seek and knock, we see that God is greater than every earthly father. If an earthly father being evil 
will not harm, but help his children, how much more so will your heavenly Father give you all good things? Now, now here's a question that I have for you when it comes to prayer. What is the one way to guarantee, to guarantee that a prayer will never be answered? The one way to guarantee that a prayer will never be answered. You might say sin. Well, it's true that sin, right, sin can uh, distance us from God. But if sin were a barrier to prayer, then forget it, right? But the prayer that is never answered is the prayer that is never prayed, right? If we don't ask... How can we expect an answer? And therefore here we are commanded to ask and to seek and to knock. And there's an increasing intensity here that I want you to see. Asking, this is a verb that has to do with an inferior to a superior. We are not coming and demanding anything from God. But we are asking. We are like the tax collector, not the Pharisee. We are coming and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. But we are also seeking. We are asking, but we are also acting upon it. But then the third, we are knocking. We are asking. We are acting. We are persevering. We are continuing to knock until the door is opened. But why? Why ask? Why seek? And why knock? How can we be assured that God will really hear us? And if God hears us, how can we be assured that God will really answer us? Can we really be sure that our prayer will be heard and that God will answer? And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we think about how we can be confident in prayer. We are to be persistent in prayer, but Jesus here teaches us that we are to be confident in prayer. And and our confidence does not rest on who we are, but on who God is. You see, I'm pointing us away from ourselves. It's not, it's not our faith. It's not our elegance in prayer because who has that? But it's God to whom we pray. We have confidence in prayer because God is our good Father. He is the good Father. And we have confidence in prayer because God is the gracious Father. And that's what we'll see, particularly in these verses here, 11 through 13. And so we can be confident in prayer because we pray to a good and gracious Father. We can be confident in prayer because we pray to a good and gracious Father. We can have confidence because God is our good Father. And there's the comparison that is made here between earthly fathers and our heavenly Father. Even earthly fathers who are evil... Do not harm their children. Now, this is the rule. There are exceptions. But as a rule, fathers don't purposely harm their children, Jesus says. But Jesus, in verse 13, says that these fathers are those who are being evil. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Why does he say that earthly fathers are evil? Now, perhaps some of you earthly fathers recoil at that. No, I am not evil. Ask my children. I'm not evil. But I think that's a misunderstanding of what evil is. What he means there is that we're sinners. We're not perfect. 
by any stretch of the imagination. The Word of God says that earthly fathers disciplined as they thought best. But we make many mistakes. At least I do. It says you're evil. You're a sinner. And we know this from the Word of God. Psalm 51.5 says that we are brought forth in iniquity and conceived in sin. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Romans 3.10 through 12, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. It's all happened because of, of the fall into sin. In fact, it wasn't too long after that. Genesis 6, 5 and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the picture here. That's what Jesus is saying. If you then, in verse 13, being evil, being a sinner, if you being evil do not give dangerous items to your children in place of essential items, and there's a list here. In verse 11, if your son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent or an egg? Will he give him a scorpion? Even evil fathers do not give their children stones to eat, serpents to eat, or scorpions to eat. And so there's there's a reality in which if they were to do that, it would reverse the request. Here are the children coming and saying, I need good from you. And the fathers would give them only things that would harm. It would be to turn a request for help to a request for harm. But he says, even then earthly fathers who are evil provide for their children. They do not give them what will harm them, but they give them what will help them, bread and fish and eggs and all of these other things and all of the provision that they need to the best of their ability. And so that's the contrast here that Jesus brings out. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, verse 11, certainly, no, certainly this father, whoever it is, even though they are evil, is not going to give something harmful to their child. And just as we saw last week, Jesus argues then from the lesser to the greater, if a friend at midnight will get up and will give you what you need, Well, God will certainly give you what you need. He's not bothered by your prayers. He's not bothered by your knocking. He tells you to come and knock, to come and ask, to come and seek, to come and persist. And so the argument here is from the lesser to the greater. How much more, Jesus says in verse 13, how much more will your heavenly Father give? In in the text in Matthew, it says give good gifts. We'll get to what Luke says here with regard to giving the Holy Spirit. But I want to focus on the giver. Who is the giver? But our Heavenly Father. And who is our Heavenly Father? How much more will your Heavenly Father give good to you? This is is God who is not like earthly fathers. He is not a sinner. There is no evil in Him. He is free from all evil. Psalm 5 verse 4, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. 
He is the God who dwells, not in darkness, not with evil, but in light unapproachable. This is who God is. He's free from all evil. And He is not only free from all evil, but He is the source of all good, isn't He? How much more will your heavenly Father give you? And so that's the argument. When we come in prayer to God and we seek these things from Him, when we ask and seek and knock, we can have great confidence that He will give to us because of who He is. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? And so that's the, that's the first reason that we can have confidence. We can have confidence when we come to God in prayer because God is greater in goodness than any earthly father. And He will certainly give us what is good for us. But I want you to see also that God is not only greater in goodness, in fact, He is the fountain of all good. He is good, far greater in goodness than any earthly father, but He is also more gracious than any earthly father. He is more gracious. He gives us abundantly. Now, He gives us certainly good gifts. Matthew points that out in uh, the, the text in which Jesus is teaching on this. It says that He will give good gifts. He is a gracious Father who gives us good gifts. I want you to look with me at Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, our call to worship this morning. But in it, we see the graciousness of our God. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. A psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What a, what a great picture we have there of God as a gracious Father. That's why the Belgic Confession, Article 1, in that last sentence dealing with who God is, says that He is the overflowing fountain of all good. The overflowing fountain of all good. It's almost as if He just cannot be contained. His goodness comes out to His people. And that's who He is. And so I want you to be assured in this, that God is more gracious to you than anyone. God is more gracious to you than any human parent, no matter what they give their children. You take the greatest human parent who ever lived, doesn't even hold a candle to God and His graciousness to you in Christ. But I want you to look back with me at Luke chapter 11. In the last part of verse 13. Because here we see... God is not only a gracious Father who gives us good gifts, but He is a gracious Father who gives us the greatest gift. Now what is the greatest gift that God gives to His people? 
may be tempted to say salvation. That's certainly a great gift, isn't it? That's not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is himself. Notice what he says here. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Himself. To us. I was watching on um, the internet, uh, and perhaps you've seen these, where uh, someone records a video of a member uh, of the family, maybe a, a father or a mother who was in the military coming home, and they surprise their children coming home. They haven't seen them in in maybe a year or two, and I was watching one in which they, they had uh, concocted this big present. And the mom was in there, but the son didn't know it. But what they started to do is they started to open this gift, and, and the mom would hand out things, things that the boy really wanted, starting with smaller things. And, and, and over and over, these things were handed out, and, and you start to wonder, this boy has got to realize that this box is not big enough to contain all of these things. But as he got these gifts, he was so excited, because this is what I wanted. Oh, I wanted this, and I wanted that, and, and it kept coming, and it kept coming. But then there was one more gift that was to come out, and that gift was his mother. Now, what do you think, when he saw his mother, what do you think he did with all of those other gifts? Now, he certainly didn't throw them away, <laughs> but suddenly they were of no real value or interest to him, were they? Oh, those were great, but now I have what I really longed for. And that's what God does. Yes, he gives us so many things, but we are not to seek his gifts. We are to seek him because he gives us himself. And here's, that's what Jesus says here. The Father gives the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that the Father gives the Holy Spirit? Well, certainly there's a sense in which this was fulfilled at Pentecost. They were in the upper room and they were asking and seeking and knocking, weren't they? They were told to remain in Jerusalem, to remain there until the promise of the Spirit came. Certainly at conversion in our lives, we are then by the Spirit, we are united to Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's also a sense in which we daily need the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says that we are to be being filled. That's an active, that's an imperative, that's a command, but it's passive. We can't fill ourselves with the Spirit, and yet we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do we do that? Well, here's the answer. We pray. We pray for the Spirit. And I wonder, do you pray for the Spirit? When's the last time you prayed, God, give me your Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not saying that it's some kind of second conversion experience. No. That's a once-for-all thing. I'm not saying we're going to go back to Pentecost, and all of a sudden tongues of fire are going to appear, and we're going to have some kind of second Pentecost. But what I am saying is that we need to pray. Because here, in verses 9 and 10, it's in the present, continuous. Ask, seek, and knock. And God the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. It's a daily need, isn't it? In fact, not praying for the Spirit is really saying, God, I can live without your Spirit. And you can't. I'm sorry. So have you received this great gift of the Spirit? You know, the, the Bible is clear. If you do not have the Spirit, you are not Christ's. 
So when you come to Christ by true faith, you receive Him and all of His benefits. So if you're in Christ, you have received the Spirit. But you need to be filled with the Spirit more and more. You need to ask and receive. And so do you pray daily for the Spirit? If not, I would encourage you to do so. Pray, God, give me more of your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit because I can do nothing apart from you. And here's a warning. Praying this prayer will result in eternal change. And that's a good thing. Praying this prayer will result in internal change. Results of this change will be increased love for God and neighbor, increased holiness, a desire to be with God and God's people. You might say pray at your own risk. Because God will answer it. But notice here, notice here, we see that God is only going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. To those who ask Him. And so we need to pray. But what do we gain when God gives us His Holy Spirit? And I think the better question is, what don't we gain? Right? We gain God Himself. And all of the blessings that the Spirit applies to us. The blessings of Christ. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. The Holy Spirit is beyond doubt the greatest gift which God can bestow upon man. Having this gift, we have all things, life, light, hope, and heaven. Having this gift, we have God the Father's boundless love, God the Son's atoning blood, and full communion with all three persons of the blessed Trinity. And that's what we have. We have an intimacy with God, an experience of God's love, an experience of God's presence. We have the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God, access to God. And His guidance. But as I said earlier, the one prayer that is sure not to get answered is the prayer that we do not pray. And so we're commanded here to ask, to seek, and to knock because we're told that your Heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And so ask. And that's the encouragement here that Jesus gives to his disciples. It's the encouragement that he gives to us to pray. He has encouraged, he's, he's educated us on how to pray. Here's how you pray. Here's the model prayer. And he has encouraged us to persist in prayer and also to be confident in prayer. To be confident in prayer because of who we pray to. God, our Father, who is a good Father and a gracious Father. Greater than any earthly friend, greater than any earthly father, the fountain of all good. And he knows how to give good gifts to his children. And he has given us the best gift himself, hasn't he? Cherish that. This is amazing to think about. That God dwells in us. Not simply with us, but in us. And will be with us forever. But again, God doesn't give this gift to everyone, does he? He does not. He gives it to those who ask Him. And that is the question. Are you asking God? Are you seeking from God what He so freely gives? And are you doing so persistently knocking? You know, there's a sense of desperation, isn't there, in prayer. God, I cannot do anything apart from You. 
I think we confess that, but we don't really live it, do we? We say, okay, God, I agree with your word. I can do nothing apart from you. Then we close our Bibles and we close our mouths and we go and live as if we can live apart from God. And we cannot. We only fool ourselves. You see, we desperately need God. We need His Holy Spirit. Not simply at conversion, but every day of our life. And so pray this prayer as if your life depended upon it because in reality how you lived us. God, give me your spirit. Without you, I can do nothing, but with you, all things are possible. God, I am asking, I am seeking, I am knocking, and I am not going to stop until you give me that which I seek. And I know that you will give it to me because you are a good father and you are a gracious father. Amen. Let us pray. Our God, give us not simply all things that we need, but yourself. We thank you that you have poured out your spirit as prophesied in Joel and as as fulfilled in Pentecost upon your church. We thank you that at conversion, God, you have come to dwell in us. But now we ask as your people that you would fill us more and more with your spirit, that you would make us more and more like Christ, that you would open our hearts to understand your word, that you would open our mouths to praise you and to pray unto you. And we have great confidence that you will answer this prayer. For you are not... An earthly father who, being evil, knows how to give good gifts, but you are our heavenly father, good, the overflowing fountain of all good, gracious in abundance to us, your people. And so, God, we come and we ask and we trust in you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.